You probably know this, but the reality is words are very powerful. Words quite often can shape our emotions. Words can change our day, our behavior. Words can bring us up and words can bring us down. Maybe some of you remember the first time you walked into an office and you heard, congratulations, you're hired. Words are powerful. Or you stood before a pastor and you looked at someone whom you wanted to give your life to and you heard them say, I do. Or some years later, they, they walk into the room with, with tears of joy and they look at you and say, we're pregnant and it's twins. Words are powerful. Or maybe you showed up to the hospital and you rushed to get there and you walk into the family and you can read the room and you hear him say, he didn't make it. Words are powerful. In marriage, words are really powerful. Words can make you want to hold hands and kiss and smooch. Or they can make you have heated fellowship. Words are powerful. Even in the ordinary parts of your life, the mundane parts of our day, words have a massive impact. And so what I want you to understand from the beginning today is this, is that every season is shaped... By what you say. Show of hands, is anyone in the room in complete control of your schedule? You get to do 100% of what you want, whenever you want, however you want. Anybody? That's not my life. I can't, always in, I can't always control what's in front of me, but I can control what I say about what's in front of me. Because see, words matter. And something that often separates people that walk in joy and the fullness of life and the purpose of Christ is what they choose to say about the seasons that they're in because your seasons are often shaped by the words that you say. And right now, many of us have started a new season or a new job or the kids are back to school and you've had to buy supplies. Sports are beginning. The alarm clock is going off much earlier. You've got teachers to meet. And some of us, we're chasing that very elusive, perfect family dinner one night a week. The seasons. And quite often we speak about our seasons and they're stressful and they're a burden, they're overwhelming, and then before you know it, it feels more burdensome. And it really is overwhelming. And I really am stressed out. I mean, Kim and I have been in a lot of different seasons. I have no idea how we do it. Pastoring a church, raising three kids, earning a D-men, and these seasons feel out of control, but my seasons are often shaped by what I say. And when I begin to speak about God's purpose in any season, then my heart and my mind begin to get in line. Life's supposed to be a little busy. It's okay that you feel overwhelmed. You can tap into God's strength, and words are so powerful. How many of you in the last couple of years or months or weeks or days at some point have looked at your spouse and said, I can't wait till we're empty nesters? None of y'all? A bunch of liars? You ever feel that way? But, you know, at first, at one point in your journey, it was, I can't wait till we have one in the house. Once we have one in the house, then we'll be happy. You wanted one in the house, now you want them out the house. 
Sometimes your seasons are shaped by the words you say, and you can label your life by your words, because words are powerful. You'll ever heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words what? That's not true. Because, you know, broken bones before, and you go to a doctor, and they put a cast on it, and it's healed. And, in fact, they'll say, hey, you know what? It healed in such a way it's actually stronger than it was before. But I've had words spoken over me that took years to get rid of. Identities that, man, I still struggle with. It's because words are powerful. Listen, here's why I'm saying all this to you. If words are so powerful and they can shape a season and label a life, if your family can be impacted by your words, if your week or your month can be impacted by a word from a coworker, what I want you to do is consider what about allowing our entire being and life be shaped by the words of God Himself? Because there is purpose and identity and calling and passion and life and freedom and joy that God wants to speak over you. And if our season is often shaped by the words we say, why don't we speak into our own life and the lives of those we're influencing the words of God himself? I've said to this church for five years, our identity is often shaped by the person who has the loudest voice in your life. I want us to be a church that the loudest voice in our life is the voice of our creator, our redeemer, our sustainer. And if we're going to be influencers, we're in a series called Influence, then we got to know who we are, what God has said about us, so that we can pass that on. So grab your Bible, open to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Started this series last week, and the next two weeks we'll be in the book of Deuteronomy. If you're new to the Bible, it's the Old Testament. That's before Jesus walked on this earth. It's the foreshadowing of his life. It's The Old Testament, it's actually all the way to the left, start to the left, go five books to the right, starts with a D, Deuteronomy. It's actually 66 books in the Bible. This is one of them, written by Moses. If you still haven't found it, use your table of contents, cheat on if you're a neighbor, or fake it, because we're getting started. Deuteronomy chapter 7 says this, verse 6. Listen to what God says about his people. For you are a holy people. Belonging to the Lord your God. And the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own possession. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has set his heart on you and chosen you, not because you were more numerous than all the peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples, verse 8, but because the Lord loved you and kept you. The oath he swore to your fathers, he brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. No, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Chose you, loves you, keeps you, made a covenant, redeemed, and people of his own possession. And so, Lord, we, we need your words to shape our life. Words from the throne room of heaven 
written down on pages, preserved throughout history so that we would know the heart and mind of God. Your heart and your mind towards us and for us. And so, God, I pray we would soak up your truth and that it would absolutely shape our life in every season that we live. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? So we started walking through the book of Deuteronomy last week. And if you weren't here, we started in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is called the Shema. It's something that the ancient Israelites would repeat, and Jewish people still today repeat multiple times a day to remind them of God's mission and purpose for their life. And when Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing that God ever said, Jesus quoted the verses that we looked at last week where God said, hey, love me with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your strength. And what we talked about is it's so important to understand what God wanted with the heart and with the soul is because that's where God wants us to begin and where God wants his word to take root. And we talked about how the soul drives everything. And from the soul, you go to the heart, to the mind, to the will, to the decisions, to the relationships. And we said we spend so much of our time focusing on the outside. We're just trying to correct relationships or we're trying to fix decisions or we're trying to change people's mind. And all we're doing is trying to repaint and reorganize the exterior. But God said, no, you start with the soul. Because if you start with the soul, it infects everything else. But if you start at the exterior, you never get to the soul. So we talked about that last week. And part of the Shema, Moses told his people, I want you to repeat this to your children when you walk and when you sleep and when you get up and when you lay down. And that word repeat is this idea of like a stonemason grabbing a chisel and sitting down to a big block of granite and just with painstaking precision chiseling a message into granite, careful, crafted with precision, and one sense embedded into the granite, no storm or time will erase it. It will stand the generations. And God was saying to his people through Moses, that's what I want to happen in your heart with my word, that it's etched in so life and trials and difficulties and nothing can erase it and pass it on and imprint it onto their lives so it'll never be taken away. And so if you were here last week, you just got last week's message again for free. And so that's, that's what he said. Because Moses had a mission and a mandate for his people. And it's so important because God's people were moving into the promised land. New beginning and new legacy and new life and new purpose. And he wanted them to go in there prepared with his word on their hearts. And then what we're reading today is he's speaking identity over them. And the reason why he's speaking identity over them is because they're going to go into a foreign land with foreign people, with foreign gods. And they were supposed to go in and defeat them and purge the land and create a new legacy and lineage and identity of those people. And what God didn't want to happen is he said, I don't want you to get sucked in to the foreign lands or the foreign gods. I want you to stamp that out and become my people. So as they enter into this great battle and this difficult season of life where they're gaining the land, he's speaking purpose over them and he's speaking identity over them. And that same identity that God gave the people of Israel, 
he also gives to us. Because what we're looking at Deuteronomy, Peter actually quoted in the New Testament. So what God said to Israel is for you today. So let's take a step back and look at it. Let's start in verse 6. God, through Moses, told the people, told us this. He said, for you are a, what's the word? Holy people. And I love that God declared that we are holy. And the reason why we're holy has nothing to do with us. Praise God. Our holiness is a gift imputed to us by God himself. We don't walk around with a swagger because we performed or we pretended and we've got it all together. The reason why we're holy is because God declared it over us. I chose you. You're holy. In fact, on the cross of Jesus Christ was the great exchange where Jesus on his shoulders took the sin and the unrighteousness of mankind. And he said, hey, I'll take that. And in return, I'll give you all of my righteousness and all of my holiness. God just gave it to us. It's what's called imputed righteousness. So we're holy, not because you feel holy, act holy. You're holy because God says, no, I'm making you holy through the death of my son. That's my gift to you. So we don't walk around with a swagger, but I don't walk with a limp either. Because my God said I'm holy. And my God said I'm his. Belonging to the Lord your God. He says, you belong to me. That's your identity. You belong to me. And the Lord your God has chosen you. I love that. To be his own possession. Out of all the people on the face of the earth, some of you need to spend more time in this verse this week letting God speak this identity over you. You are chosen. And if you're chosen, God has an eternal love for you. And God's love being eternal separates his love from every other love on the planet. And I know people love you, and I bet your mama and your grandmama and your great-grandmama love you. I bet they think you're just the cutest little thing ever. But God's love's still different. And it's still better, and here's why. Because if God has chosen you and he has an eternal love for you, then the reason why his love is different from every other love on the planet is because he loved you before you were you. It means his love is not based on your past, your present, or your future. Because he loved us before we had one. You don't have to perform or pretend. We just get to praise. And some of you, like the only thing you've ever known or experienced is a works-based type of love. Act a certain way, dress a certain way, make a certain amount of grades, or do really well in sports, and then you'll get love. Then you'll get acceptance. That's not God. You'll never be more loved than you are in this moment right now. And as influencers, this series is called Influence. So for those of you that have influence in the next generation, one of the reasons why we said last week, parents, it's so important. Future parents, it's so important. Because you're the first image of the creator your kids ever get. And to love them with that never-ending, never-stopping, always-and-forever love. It's part of God's mission in shaping the next generation. And listen, I get it. 
You're going to fail. You're going to mess up. I'm raising three kids right now, and I feel like I stink way more than I succeed. Anybody else with me? I need to come talk to y'all, apparently. If y'all got it figured out, then y'all come up here. Y'all can do this. Like We feel like we mess it up all the time. But that's part of that gospel formation where in our failure, we say, even though I am imperfect, son, there is a perfect father. And I'm sorry, and I'm chasing after him, and let's run together. And it's part of that formation. But God says, you're holy. You belong to me. You belong to the Lord. I've chosen you. You're my possession. And Israel was chosen, handpicked out of all the people on earth, not because they were great or special or some massive army. He picked them because they were small and insignificant. And he said, I'm going to make my name great through you. I'm going to send the Messiah through you. You're going to be a city on a hill. You're going to declare the glories of God to the nation. And the Messiah is going to come through you. And even though the Messiah did come through them and they rejected him, he said, I don't want your carpenter. He didn't abandon them because he said, no, 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 I chose you. And I'm not going to forsake you. And in the same way he chose them, he chooses us. He says, you're mine through Jesus. Which means if you belong to Jesus this morning and you have asked him to be your savior, you have uninhibited direct access to the God of the universe right now. It has nothing to do with how well you have or have not done. Because he has chosen to invite you in. And the Bible says we can boldly approach the throne of grace. It says, come and know me and make me known. And then look at, look at verse 8. He says this. Because, because the Lord loved you. And kept the oath he swore to you. People may break their oaths and their promises to you, but God never will. He is a promise maker and he's a promise keeper. There's a big difference. You should know between someone who makes promises and someone who keeps them. God keeps them. The oath he swore to you and to your ancestors. He brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you, rescued you, saved you, from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. If you're new to the Bible, if you remember the plagues of Egypt and Joseph and the coat of many colors and, you know, Charleston Heston, let my people go. You remember that? Well, that's, that's from the Bible where God rescued his people from Egypt and declared, you're mine and I'm going to send you out into the new land. What God did for Israel is a picture of what Jesus is doing for us. He's rescuing us out of bondage and sin and slavery and saying, now go make much of me. In the same way Israel was supposed to be a city on a hill, we are supposed to be a light that never goes out, that declares to the world there's a good and gracious God. And part of our job as influencers is to make much of Jesus. That's our job. And listen, it's easier than you think to make much of God. If you came to me and said, wait, here's your job for the next week. You have one job. I just want you to talk about how much you love your wife. I want you to talk about what she's done in your heart and your life and how your family's better and how even in seasons of difficulty and struggle and trials, like talk about what your wife has meant to you in those moments. You know what I'm going to do? 
I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to be like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> Time out. That is a really crushing weight that you're trying. You're telling me for one whole week, you want me to talk about my wife and how much I love her and what she's meant to me? I, I don't know if I got the words. I don't know if I've read enough of the, the, the husband books. I don't know if I've read enough of the how to say these word books. I don't know if I've got the right bracelet or tool on how to do this. I'm just going to talk about what she's done in my life. And part of the challenge is we think making much of Jesus means God wants us to walk around and just look at people and go, sinner, 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 sinner. You need Jesus. Here's what God wants for you. Before we start telling people why they need Jesus, what if we just spent a week telling other people why we need Jesus so much? And just telling people what he's done in our lives and in our hearts and in our families and the ups and the downs and the struggles and the hurts and just why I desperately needed him and why I still long for him and why I love him and why I keep running after him. And then invite them to come go with you. Yes, they need Jesus, but your job is to declare the goodness and glory and the goodness and gloriousness of God to a lost and searching world. And just walk into a room and be like, man, there's a better way. There's more. And people know it in the quiet moments of their heart. People know that there's more. People lie awake and they wonder, is this really all there is? Listen, here's what I know. We live in a very successful place with very successful people, with very successful things. But much of what's happening around us, people are living and walking with a real bankrupt worldview. They have no idea who they really are. They have no idea why they exist and why they're living and they're chasing it. But we could step into that space and say, there's a better way. There's a better way. More of what you already have that didn't satisfy you isn't going to satisfy you. There's a better way. God wants to set you free from all the chains of any other identity that's been said to you or placed on you. Some of those identities have been given to you by others. Some of those have been through negative self-talk. Some of you have been, had that identity placed on you since you were a child. But we get to read what God said about us, and we get to say, no, 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 we are chosen. We are holy. We are special. We are a possession we belong to God himself. That's who we are. That's our identity. So this morning, whether you're a CEO, CFO, stay-at-home mom, you, you run a financial accounting firm, whether you're in education or healthcare, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a lawyer, that may be what you do, but it's not who you are. What we do is not who we are. Who we are is completely different. Look at verse 9. Look at what he says. Know that the Lord your God is God. The faithful God who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. God is a promise maker and a promise keeper, and he has spoken identity over his people. 
And if you belong to Jesus this morning, if you have repented and said yes to your Savior, then your identity this morning is completely forgiven, completely free. Son, daughter. You need to hear that. You need to know that. That is not just an action that happened to you. That was an identity spoken over you by God himself. And one of the things, man, if I'm honest, that I struggle with, one of the things that I struggle with is vacillating between feeling accepted and feeling forgiven and not. Anybody with me? Because, man, there are weeks I feel like I'm crushing it. Ooh, that was a good week. Man, I was a good dad. I was a good pastor. I was a good husband. There's probably a little praise party going on in heaven right now. They're all looking down, going, take notes. Holy Spirit, pass along what you're seeing over there in Nolensville. Good week. That didn't happen a lot, but occasionally I feel like that. But then there's other times where I'm like, man, I don't know if I can mess that up any worse. I don't know if I could have handled that like any more horribly. How did I tank that so bad? I bet God's got a lightning bolt right now. I, I bet he's just waiting to zap me. And there's, there's a tension between is God pleased? Is he not? Does he love me? Does he not? Is, I got to go back to these verses and nothing that God said over Israel and nothing that God said over us has anything to do with how well you perform or how well you pretend. Everything that God spoke over you has to do with who he is. That's what makes him so great. And that's what makes the gospel so good. So think, think about it this way. I, I coached football for a lot of different years. And I used to tell the team we would get them together in preseason and during the season. And I would get them ready. And I would say, listen, hey, listen, what got you here will not keep you here. What got you here will not keep you here. Effort will keep you here. Drive will keep you here. Grit will keep you here. Determination will get you here. And yes, maybe you have earned that spot, but you don't keep your spot. You earn your spot. What you do during the game determines whether you keep that spot. And the guy behind you on the depth chart, his sole job is to take your spot. So what got you here won't keep you here. And you don't have security. If you want to earn that spot, you go get it. If you want to keep it, then you keep it, but you work for it. Your faith is not a football game. And what got you and I here actually will keep us here. Because you and I didn't get ourselves here. Jesus did. Stop pretending. Stop performing. And start praising the one who has spoken identity over you. Who says, not chose you. The Bible actually says we were yet his enemies when Christ died for us. I chose you. I make you holy. I forgive you. I make promises. You're mine. You belong to me. And I know some of you may feel like, man, you have no idea the pit of sin I keep following in. Well, your pit may seem big, but I'll tell you there's an ocean of grace waiting on you. There's 
There's an identity that God wants to give you. Son, daughter, holy, redeemed. And one of the things we like to say around here is this. like Your sin doesn't get to define you anymore. Jesus does. And I'll add to that today. Your success doesn't get to define you anymore. Jesus does. Your failure doesn't define you. Your relationships or lack thereof don't define you. Your net worth doesn't define you. Your athleticism or education, your career, it doesn't define you. If we're going to be the type of influencers that will shape and mold the next generation of world changers... And we got to have the identity that God wants us to have chiseled on our hearts, spoken into us, anchored inside of us. Because whether it's today or tomorrow, this week or next week, your life's going to get squeezed. It's going to get pressed. There's going to be pressure. So I'll ask you a question. If you, if you take a tube of toothpaste, Mike Glenn likes to say it this way. If you take a tube of toothpaste and you squeeze it, what comes out? It's a pretty easy question. If you squeeze a tube of toothpaste, what comes out? That's not true at all. What's inside that tube comes out. You don't know if it's toothpaste or not until you squeeze it. What's inside always comes out. That's why pretending and trying to perform is such a struggle. We need to operate out of our identity. What God has spoken into our hearts. So that when our life is squeezed and when we're pressed, Deuteronomy 7 comes out. Holy, chosen, forgiven, free, son, daughter. And I have, I have two challenges that I want to give you today as we close two things that I'm going to ask you to consider carefully. Here's what I want you to do. Number one, that Jesus is too good to keep to ourselves. So I want you to think of one person, one name, one life that you can speak this truth over. That you can be a life giver. That you can be a cup of cool water that you can be a breath of fresh air, that you can walk into their life and say, that's not who you are, this is who you are. That doesn't need to define you, God does. That's not true about you, this is true about you. I don't care what the world says about you, I don't care what others says about you, I don't care what your team or your coaches or your bosses say about you, let me remind you what God says about you. We are hope givers, we are darkness disruptors, and this week, I want you to be life givers. And you take this message of hope and you give it to one person. Give it away. Give it away. And then number two, I want you to carefully consider, carefully think through how you would define whether or not you belong to Jesus or not today. In a room this size, on a campus like we have today, 
I grew up believing that some of my actions or some of the things that I did is what made me okay with God. Nobody in this room will ever ooze into the kingdom of God. And you don't have to pretend and you don't have to perform. If God has chosen you, then you have to say yes. And it has to be more than church attendance, some youth thing that you did, some water where you got wet, something that you said. There are no magical prayers out there. One of the burdens I have as a pastor is for the people who would assume that because they've done right things that they're in right standing with God. The person that did the right thing was Jesus Christ when he left heaven, was crucified, buried, and rose again for you. And if you have never earnestly and honestly placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, asking you to do that today and you could feel it you know it in your heart you're like I, I, I think that's true for me there's a card in the seat back in front of you I want you to grab it I want you to fill it out I want to know and follow Jesus we want to walk with you in that you can leave this room with confidence today say dear Lord have mercy on me a sinner and save me I believe who Jesus is I believe He's everything that you say in the Bible. He left heaven, came to earth, was crucified and rose again, and I want him. I can't do that for you. But the Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we believe God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I want you to be saved today. I wish I could do it for you. You know, if I could, before you leave, I would walk up and down every row and I would go boop on your head, boop on your head, boop. We would, that's how we train our host team, you know that? We give a lot of high fives. We wouldn't give highs. We'd give boops. Boop, boop, boop. It'd be awesome. But God has not ordained his plan that way. I cannot save you. But I can tell you about the one who is open and ready and willing. So I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to make that decision today. Let's pray. Lord, today, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. I pray for those in the room that need to respond to you as Lord and Savior today in the best of their ability. Would they cry out and ask you to save them? Pray for identity and for hope and for purpose, Lord, that you would move in miraculous ways in and through our church. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.